This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Welcome to our Behind the Markets podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz. Alongside Wharton Friends Professor Jeremy Siegel, we tackle the latest market trends every week on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, channel 132. Welcome to Behind the Markets here on Business Radio. Powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz, Global CIO at Wisdom Tree, coming to you from our Wharton campus in Philadelphia. My co-host is Wharton Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel, author of Stocks for Long Run and the Future for Investors. Please note I am a registered representative of Foresight Fund Services. Professor Siegel is a senior advisor to Wisdom Tree. Our discussion is not tied to the offer or sale of investment products. And the views of our guests are their own and not those of Wisdom Trades affiliates. We're going to have a very interesting show live again from Wharton's campus. We'll be talking with somebody here who's an anonymous guest from Twitter. Uh, we'll be bringing him to you to talk crypto and some of his views on what crypto will be used for. But, Professor, before we go into this long holiday weekend, uh, you were saying 5% from the bottom last week. We've had a bit of a rebound this week, Professor. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually looking good. And today is really looking good. Um, actually, solid across uh, across the board. Um, uh, uh, we we you know the long bond has come well down into the low two two seventies. I think that's hadn't helped tech. You know, I mean it was up to three twenty. So there's there's been a little bit of a tech bounce the last two or three days, and a little bit of relief after uh, you know the, the kind of a panic after Target and Walmart and Snap. That some of the other retailers, Dollar General, Dollar Store, and and few others. I mean, they were they were mixed, but they weren't as disastrous and and in any sense. So I think it was sort of we get a, a a relief rally. What surprised me the most, and I, I uh, really sounded uh, you know took a kind of a little bit of an about face that surprised a lot of people when I was on CNBC. Um, uh, we saw for uh, the month of um, uh, April, um, uh, the uh, first decline, monthly decline in the money supply uh, in over 10 years, and the second largest uh, percentage decline, actually the largest dollar decline in in history, and the second largest percentage decline uh, in over 60 years. And that alarmed me. I want the money supply to slow down to a sustainable range, four to five percent. I don't want it to start declining, um, and therefore I, you know, went on uh, and I said, "Listen, the Fed has to be careful here." Uh, I support the increases. I mean, a, a lot of two fifty points uh, basis points are already in these rates, um, but don't slam on the brakes too fast uh, in this. Yes, there's a lot of inflation still on the pipeline, but you know, do we do we want to stop this car by sending it, slamming on the brakes and sending anyone, everyone through the the windshield? No. Uh, now I'm not. I'm I, I'm just saying that that you have to look at two factors. Interest rates are one. We've got to raise them. We are. Keep your eye on the money supply. I would not like to see it continue to decline. However, we are in uncharted territory. I mean, the, the burst of the money supply in 2020, as we have said so many times, was the largest in history. We, I knew it was going to bring about a lot of inflation. Do we now reduce the money supply? I mean, we're not going to get down anywhere near the levels. That would, that would be disastrous that we were uh, pre-pandemic. But uh, even going back to trend line, I don't recommend. I, I think you've got to accept the inflation in the pipeline uh, again, much more has happened than been recorded uh, in, in because of housing lags. But, but uh, um, uh, you know, slamming on the brakes is, is not a good idea. What I'm saying is, we're going to get 50 basis points in June to be sure. He sort of promised 50 basis points in the July 29th meeting. They will have two more money supply data points. After that, I take a look at it. I take a look at whether this economy is really slowing or not. And if it's really slowing, um, you know, you could go to 25 basis points. Don't forget, I voiced the opinion that I think neutral Fed funds rate is not 2.4% as the FOMC has 
said, but actually somewhere between one and a half and two. And uh, we are now at a fifth hundred of 83 basis points, 250 point uh, heights will get us, of course, to 183. And that is uh, what I think is neutral. Uh, now, you could say we should get above neutral. Of course, we should have gotten above neutral two years ago and a year ago. Uh, the mistakes were made. You can't unwind them all. But uh, that was a little bit startling to actually see an outright decline in the money supply. By the way, it, it, the decline in the money supply, a lot of it just represents higher interest rates, people not borrowing, paying back loans. Um, and when we see what's happening in the mortgage market, the housing market has really been hit without question. Not so much on prices but certainly on new home sales, pending home sales, um, and and prices are beginning to flatten out. I mean, the combination of the 30% price hikes with mortgage rates going from, you know, basically three to five and a quarter percent, you know, is going to cause people to pause. So you got to, you, you basically have to be careful. Maybe the, maybe the market, you know, I mean, but let's face it, you know, uh, you know, when we're, where we got down on May 20th on those levels, we were looking at 15, 16, 17 times earnings. I still think earnings are going to come in strong. Um, uh, these are incredible uh, values, uh, and I, I think people are beginning. <laughs> I think people are beginning to see it. We, I, I, I don't think we need a. I mean, we don't need a spike in the VIX. VIX is now down to 25. A lot of people said it has to go above 40 before it. If it doesn't have to. Nothing is exactly the same as we had before. So, so, Professor, I know you were saying you wanted to see the rate hikes as one of the ways to slow down the money supply. Is there any other technical factors that have gotten that number to decline, or is it all just this sort of higher borrowing cost? Is it the fiscal well, it, running off? I think it's the higher borrowing cost causing people. Don't forget, the way money supply is basically created is banks creating loans at the behest of businesses and individuals. And if they're not borrowing, they're not creating those loans, or they're paying them back. And that shrinks uh, the money supply. I mean, we haven't really had quantitative tightening of any of any real sense. It's not the tightening of the balance. Now, that is going to proceed, but the banks still have tons of excess reserves, uh, you know, one and a half to two trillions uh, before it begins to bite there. So it's really the higher interest rate that's causing the slowdown in loan demand. Money supply is an early indicator of that slowdown in money demand, Um uh, you know, which is someone that, you know, somebody that monitors Milton Friedman looked at very, very closely. I'm just saying, uh, you know, that we, we, you know, when, when you have the second largest monthly decline in over 60 years, I, I, my database didn't go back that I tested this before 1959. It could be even a lot longer. We know in the Depression, of course, the money supply went down 30%, and that was a disaster. But And we're nowhere near that. I'm, I'm not pretending we're getting there. I'm just saying that, uh, you know, the Fed should have been looking at money supply earlier. They should be looking at the money supply now. Uh, we got this quarter uh, is looking at a 2.5% GDP. We had a much lower trade deficit than was anticipated. You know, we had a blowout trade deficit last month. It's really lowered first quarter GDP, as you know, to a negative number. And we only improved very marginally from that, minus 1.5. It's looking... My my best indicators are two and a half. Some are saying three now. Um, you know, we're just finishing uh, the month of May. Uh, you know, we still have June, and data is only really coming in in May. So, uh, looking at two and a half. So we're not we're gonna definitely not have a negative number uh, for this quarter. But you know, it's it's not gangbusters. I mean, when you say even if two and a half to three uh, in the second quarter, but it was minus one, you know, one and a half in the first quarter. That's not a, that's not adding to a robust economy. And I worry about listen. We know oil prices and, and gasoline prices were, you know, back down in, in the month of April where we're getting this data. They all shot up to new all you know new highs in May. Uh, is this going to put another crimp on consumer spending? That was the worry that the gas prices. It's you know Memorial Day weekend starting gas season. The people are really going to look at that and say, I'm putting $125 in my tank. I'm just going to spend, uh, I'm not going to go out to dinner that night. Um, these, these are the type of things that people are, are worrying about. There's still a lot of money out there, to say the least. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, even with the money supply slightly shrinking in the last month, um, we were way above trend. The question is, what's best for the Fed? Slam on the brakes, get that really stop the, I would rather accept a lot of the inflation that's built in 
um, and uh, and give it a slower glide path to hope for no recession in 2023. Still no way of knowing whether there's going to be a recession in 2023 or, or not at this point. Do, have you seen our, our friend, Mr. Bullard, coming out talking about uh, we, we, we aggressively hike and then maybe starting in 2023, we start lowering rates? Is uh, yeah. Bullard swings? He goes. Yeah, it is. It is a swing. Um, I think he's a little bit concerned about some of the data. I mean, you know, we've, it, it, it's been mixed on the on the real side. Um, I, I think his prediction, you know, he originally had a prediction of two and a half percent unemployment by year. And I don't think there's. We are anywhere going to get near that. I think these these, these rate hikes and declines are interesting. Also, by the way, I know you have a guest here, and so I'll end with this on crypto. It is interesting that uh, despite the jump back in in NASDAQ-related and tech stocks over the last two or three days, we've seen a continued decline uh, in in, the, in those crypto uh, currencies. And it'd be interesting on your your guest. Uh, if uh, he would uh, uh, talk with those, actually more in, in some of the currencies like Ether, uh, the, the more secondary currencies than, than in um, in uh, Bitcoin uh, itself. Dollars also seem to have leveled off um, from that. I think on the softness of the economy and a little softness in the in the equity markets. But I like today's rally, and I like the, the way the chart looks from today. We may have seen the low on May twentieth. Can't guarantee it, but I still think we're we're very, very close to the lows. I do not see that. You know, I think we may have avoided a, a bear market, but uh, in the S&P, we'll see about that. All right, Professor. Well, have a great uh, holiday weekend. You too. Thank you. We'll see you soon. I are going to turn our conversation over to our guest. So we've got, uh, I mentioned he was somebody I met on Twitter. Um, this is an anonymous uh, account on Twitter, but his his handle is Wookie Index, um, so you could look for him there. Um, welcome to our studio, Mister Mister Wookie. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it's great to be here. Uh, I listen to this podcast practically every week. I like to hear uh, Professor Siegel and his uh, market takes and. Um, yeah, thank you. Well, it's great to have a, a listener here live in the studio. And and so tell us a little bit about yourself. Why First, why be anonymous on Twitter? What do you do in your day job? And, and you're focused on crypto and, and certainly one of the elements of what you're writing about on, on uh, your Substack. Yeah, so um, I am a engineer and uh, I would like to stay anonymous just for, you know, just for privacy reasons and for, you know, um, because of my uh, employer. Um, I've been on FinTwit uh, probably since 2014, 2015, when I was starting to get into how do I invest, uh, what do I do with, with, with buying a house, getting into personal finance things. And um, yeah, it's just uh, grown my presence since then, just you know, uh, interacting with people. It's, it's, a, it's a great uh, uh, a, a community there on uh, FinTwit. And um, yeah, I love it there. Um, as far as crypto goes and my Substack, during the pandemic, uh, I um, had a lot more time on my hands and I decided to uh, try my hand at uh, writing a writing a newsletter on, on Substack. And uh, I had a few posts uh, before I got uh, really into discovering um, how crypto gets hacked, and so that's been like one of my uh, focuses with the with the Substack. Um, I found myself getting too excited about uh, cryptocurrency and getting into like all the cool stuff, Web three, and all the you know blockchain and all the uh, new words and new new um, new things I was learning, and I decided uh, to, to kind of like take a step back and focus on. What could go wrong here? Because I, because I knew that if I felt like this, who else is feeling like this? And I wanted to kind of uh, explore that, and so that's how I started uh, writing. So, are you? Would you say you're net more positive on crypto when you think about stocks, bonds, commodities, all things you could invest in? Do you allocate to some of these crypto assets? Uh, I do, and um, as of right now, I um, I only try to focus on. The layer one cryptocurrencies, um, mostly on uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and all the other top layer ones. Um, uh, that's that's my personal view. Um, I think that's probably in this very volatile, very risky asset class of digital assets. 
that's probably the safest area as far as that goes. But even cryptocurrency itself um, is on the very, the very, very risky side. Um, I'd probably put it right now with um, uh, startup capital. Is basically where I'd put it on the on the risk curve, right? Sort of venture capital, a lot of right. high risk. Worth, a lot of these things will go to zero, mm-hmm. uh, and and uh, and and maybe some. Well, we can talk about you talked about layer one just being a little bit different. Maybe, uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Maybe they're still part of the, the things that could go to zero. <laughs> Let, let's talk. I guess before we get into some of the, the cases on crypto, talk a little bit more about your experience on Twitter and being anonymous uh, as a Substack writer. Like what? How has that been? Uh, Twitter is certainly in the news these days with Elon trying to buy Twitter. What, what's it been like being a, a author, anonymous author on, on Twitter? Um, it's been it's been great. I mean, uh, you just get a lot of feedback, um, a lot of people um, reaching out through DMs. And, you know, um, I don't know. I, 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 I found it's like, for, for me personally, it's like one of the greatest, um, you know, tools to find a... Um, community of like-minded people or if you're, if you're trying to meet new people in a new com- community that maybe you're not part of in your everyday life, um, it's a great way to, to, to find those type of things. What Do you think Elon's going to be successful? Is he going to take Twitter? Uh, I, I don't know at this point. I think uh, I, I, I really do think um, that he might get himself into trouble if, uh, if uh, Tesla stock starts to keep tanking and with the market, but you know, uh, if what, what Professor, Siegel, Professor Siegel is saying is true, and we, we're pretty close to the bottom right now, and Tesla might come back, then I think he'll be able to. He has another shot. Yeah, he has another shot, I think. But yeah, if it doesn't, and uh, he's basing a lot of his loans for Twitter on his Tesla stock, he might get himself into trouble and might have to might be forced to pull out. Yeah, his, his recent arguments about how many bots are on Twitter, is it much more than 5%? Um, you know, yeah. you, you could see that being like a negotiation tactic to just say, I don't, my 5420 price was way too high. I needed to be like 4420 instead mm-hmm. of 5420. That could be too. Uh, so I could see that being a big part of what's going on. But uh, it, it, I mean, I've listened to some other people who say anything that he sets his mind to, he pretty much is pretty direct. A lot of people were skeptical. Is he actually going to try to follow through with it? But but there's the other side is that he's pretty transparent with what he's going to try to do. And what usually what he says yep. he's going to do, he actually ends up doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we'll see. Can he close this deal? It's going to be very, very interesting. It will. All right. So let's get into your posts on uh, the, your latest post on Bitcoin. So I think some of it, when we talk about you allocating to Bitcoin Ethereum, the layer ones, one of the big questions is what use case does it have? Why do people allocate to it in the first place? One of the narratives on, on Bitcoin has been this digital gold narrative. Maybe talk through what you see as that argument and where it falls short in your view. Yeah, so um, I I never really uh, understood or accepted the digital gold argument. I thought um, it, it didn't, uh, me personally, it doesn't really convince me that it should be something that I invest in. Do you um, believe in gold? Uh, I I I I don't, but that's because like it's it's one of the, it's based on belief. That's the whole. That's my whole problem with the the whole gold and digital gold narrative is is just it just has to be based on what other people believe it's worth. And if everyone accepts that it is, then it is. It it doesn't really it didn't really like um, the whole narrative does just doesn't really appeal to me. And so I just kind of like. Um, uh, ignored it for a, a, um, a, a pretty long time. But then um, recently I've been listening to podcasts and reading the news about um, oil and gas companies who are using uh, waste gas and, um, and uh, excess capacity in order to um, use that to uh, mine Bitcoin. And I said, oh, um, this makes a lot more sense. This is an actual use case. Maybe Bitcoin is not a, a digital gold story, like a, a just a store of value and that's it. Maybe it's more of a energy story. And so that's what my, my post was about. Yeah, I was, there was actually, you sent me another podcast uh, that I just posted recently with Preston Pish. Uh, mm-hmm. And he was talking with somebody. And I, I remember this 
question too on on when you think about the cost of gold itself, like what is the cost to mine gold and what is the price of gold? And there's a spread sometimes and you see rising energy prices makes it much more expensive to mine gold. And you could say, should these things follow the cost of production? And with an interesting quote there, like in 2017, it was costing you $200 to mine Bitcoin and it was at 10,000. Yep. And we could say, well, yeah, there's this big spread. There's so a big, yeah. And, and a big gap. Uh, what what do you see? Do you have a sense what it costs to mine Bitcoin today? Uh, I don't know off the top of my head, but um, um, if it's dependent on uh, oil and gas prices, then <laughs> it's probably it, and it is. a lot. It's probably a lot more, and uh, there's probably not as many people mining it as far as as far as that goes. Um, but there, but there are. Uh, um, a lot of the large miners are based around, you know, green energy sources or um, um, uh, water energy, waterfalls, um, things like that. Uh, and I, 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 I think it could be used um, uh, for that purpose in the future. Um, I think we're already starting to see that. Um, some ideas around, you know, um, could this be something that, uh, could Bitcoin be something that, creates the incentive to create overcapacity and create more sources of energy because maybe then it becomes more cost effective it becomes co more cost effective when you're not putting p uh, power into the uh, into the grid on off-peak hours you could be otherwise using that to mine Bitcoin and it's more profitable for the energy producers um, it probably would help incentivize them to, to create more and more green energy sources. Um, and it would be uh, decentralized. And unlike the REC market, uh, the renewable en energy credit market, Bitcoin could serve as an energy credit for any market, including oil and gas and whatever else, you know, we, we want, we want to use it for nuclear, um, yeah, I think. Um, so let me reintroduce our guest. We're talking with Wookie Index yep. from Twitter. He's uh, an anonymous guest here live in our Wharton studio. Wookie, so talk about this renewable energy credit market. Tell, tell us a little bit about that, what it, what it is today, how, and, and, and a little bit more on how Bitcoin can, we think, can, can talk and fit into that. Yeah, so my idea is that, um, or my thesis was that uh, Bitcoin could kind of become the new energy credit. And so the current uh, market for the renewable energy credits is um, still kind of fractured. It's uh, the the three main markets are the the IREC, which is sort of like an international. They're trying to create a international renewable energy credit market, um, but that one is still separate from the European market, which is also separate from the U.S. and Canada market. Um, and I don't know if any of those parties will ever agree on a on a single um a single uh uh rec to to use amongst all of them um i don't think there will be ever there'll ever be any consensus uh so my idea is that um and we already have bitcoin we already have miners we already have people using um energy producers using bitcoin for their excess capacity and for waste gas um, I think that Bitcoin could end up being, um, or some other proof of work cryptocurrency in the future could end up being this, um, this energy credit that we all agree to use and we all agree represents, you know, a, um, a certain amount of megawatt hours produced. It's a, uh, and that's basically what a renewable energy credit is. It's something we just made up. It's something that, uh, we just said, okay, this this equals one megawatt of energy. You can buy these on the open market to uh, offset the uh, energy emissions that you create. And it's trying to price carbon in some way, right? You, you hear all this yes. stuff for the amount of carbon we produce. They want to make it more expensive. Europe, in particular, was making now it's a lot more expensive. But they they started doing these carbon. I guess the carbon, carbon credit, credits, carded, and and there's the f futures market on the on the carbon allowances that's sort of pretty popular in in Europe. And there's an entire s secondary market that's created uh, from that. Yeah, and mm -hmm. you're allow is it 
for you're allowed a certain amount of emissions as a big company and you need to buy these credits to offset. Is that how it's all working to get together? Today? Yeah, so that's where like the demand side comes. So that's one of the issues with my thesis, which I do talk about in the post, is that um, on the demand side, you, you do have demand for these because you do have uh, companies who are forced to um, comply with regulations and they have to say, okay, um, well, I can't produce this myself or I can't buy this green energy, so I'll have to buy uh, these renewable energy credits to offset that. For, for Bitcoin, I, the, the only, there's, there's still no regulation or anything forcing people to buy Bitcoins on the open market. Um, and, and in that case, it just becomes another, uh, it, uh, like it falls again on the, on the, uh, store value narrative, but instead of it being just something we just ag agree is a store, a store of value, we can create, um, a system of money based on energy. And I, th I just think that's really cool and sort of, you know, um, we, we live in a world of abstractions, and I feel like um, it's sort of a different and abstract way of thinking about what is money. Yeah, I mean, it's and, interesting. We think, when you go back to your point on gold and, and me following up, like there's, the gold market cap is something like $10 trillion. It's, mm -hmm. I think it's something like that. And, you know, you've got the, I think you, you alluded to Buffett in one of your posts, and, uh, you know, Buffett always says, what is gold? This shiny object you could yeah. touch. It got no set of cash flows. There's no actual... Thing besides looking at this Just, gold in a swimming pool, right? That's famous quote. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, your point is Bitcoin can serve a actual use case in this right. case. You're right. It's it's sort of like, uh, um, yeah, and and that's what is uh, starting uh, to uh, appeal to me about Bitcoin is that it could be actually used for something. And uh, if if people want to stick with the digital gold narrative, I mean, that's that's fine. Um, I, I still do think it's sort of more of a digital commodity, but not in the way that gold is is a, in precious. It's not like a more of like a precious metal. I think of it more as something like an energy product. Yeah, that is quite interesting. Yeah. As as you think about the 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 challenge for renewable energy, maybe sort of what is the one of the challenges is just the the this overcapacity when you when you don't need it. You know, having a revenue source like this, maybe maybe sort of talk through that challenge and how how this solves it a little bit. Yeah. So um, they uh, the energy producers um, have times of the day when you know when people uh, wake up in the morning and when they are home at night, that's when they use the most energy. But throughout most of uh, most of the day, people are at work and uh, they're not in homes. Um, although that's changed now with more work, work from home, but, um, that's typically been the case. And, um, you have certain times of, uh, peak and off peak hours. Um, and those don't always correlate, especially with, uh, green energy sources. The sun is not always shining and the wind is not always blowing, for example, um, on those peak times when you really need the energy. Uh, the, the way that we can solve that is by um, creating more battery capacity, um, but that takes a lot of upfront cost. Um, what I kind of theorize in the, in the post is that um, maybe Bitcoin could be that way to kind of offset the cost and um, allow green energy sources to buy more batteries into the future. And in the meantime, mined Bitcoin during those uh, off-peak hours in order to create revenue, um, create stores of value, and be able to buy more capacity to facilitate the grid and just kind of like a virtuous cycle um, that could create um, a greener energy grid in the future. If you were to say which of these renewable energies, is, is from your engineering background, do you have any any view on which renewable energies are you most excited about, have uh, the most promise? I I took tons of classes on this actually, and uh, <laughs> when I was back in school. But um, I uh, I do think uh, we we really really should focus more on nuclear than we currently do. I do think that's um, 
like it, every area is going to have a different green energy of choice. Um, some areas, like in the in the desert, you're going to have a lot more solar. So other certain areas, you're going to have more wind, so so on and so forth. But I do think uh, if we want to get away from fossil fuels, nuclear is going to have to be the thing that we um, that we focus on. That's another hot topic in in finance Twitter. There's a lot of people who talk a lot about uranium mining and yeah. and uh, and 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 nuclear. Is, is do you see any shifting attitudes from what's going on in Europe right now in terms of the Russian energy needs and how much they need and and yet how many nuclear they're going away from it across Europe? Yeah, I um, all I know is that's probably not a good choice if you if you want to get away from natural gas. <laughs> And uh, and other and 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 oil. Um, I I don't know how they're going to meet their energy needs, unless they um, they get those uh, those fossil fuels from somewhere else. Basically, I don't know um, how their industry is going to be able to grow uh, without the without more and more energy. And um, I I I think, like I was saying, I think um, Bitcoin could. You know, create this um, incentive for overcapacity, which is, I, I think, what we need if we want to continue to grow our digital and electrical um, needs in, into the future. Okay, we're going to be talking with Wookie Index live here in Philadelphia on our Wharton campus. We've got Wookie Index, an anonymous Substack newsletter writer. I'm Jeremy Schwartz. We're listening to Behind the Markets, uh, and he and he's writing about crypto uh, quite often. And we were just talking about his post on Bitcoin and how it could be used for renewable energy credits. You also talk a lot about how crypto gets hacked. Actually, a lot of your early posts were on how crypto gets hacked. So let, let's go into maybe uh, one of your what you think is the most interesting of the posts uh, in terms of that that topic? Um, well, right now and uh, recently, I've been focusing a lot more on mixers. Um, there's one in particular called uh, Tornado Cash, which I've focused on and which I talked about in my post, um, I Can Make You Anonymous, um, on, on mixers. Uh, they've been in the news a lot lately because they are a Ethereum blockchain Um mixer. And what a mixer does is it basically, um, uh, uh, you, you put your Ethereum into the mixer, it transacts, um, with other, um, other Ethereum so that it makes it much harder to trace, um, to kind of obfuscate the traceability of the blockchain. And what that does is it makes it harder for, um, any one person to, track what you do once that Ethereum comes back out of there. Um, the, the, um, it, was, it was originally made as a way to uh, have more privacy on the blockchain because everything is supposed to be transparent and everything is um, open for everyone to be able to see. Uh, a lot of people don't like that aspect of the blockchain. And so... They've been using uh, different techniques to try to uh, obfuscate their um, their transactions on the blockchain. Mixers are one way of doing that. The problem is that uh, a lot of criminals and criminal organizations and nation states, such as North Korea, have been using mixers in order to try to obfuscate their transactions. So what's been happening a lot, what uh, a lot of the traffic traffic that goes through tornado cash is actually from hacks scams um and in uh i believe north korea even tried using it uh after the um ronin hack ronin was a side chain uh created by axie infinity um and uh after that was hacked um they had tried to um put ethereum through through that through that mixer too so they're trying to. So, so North Korea is is hacking this Axie Infinity. They try to put it through the mixer Tornado Cash, and people found that these. The, how did that get traced to North Korea, and what were they trying to do with it afterwards? Uh, well, uh, Chainalysis has said that they are um, able to actually um, uh, 
um, cut through a lot of the obfuscation techniques of mixers and be able to um, follow the transactions well enough to to find them. Um, so uh, and and they help uh, um, governments and organizations do that. Um, uh, I'm not I I'm not sure what's happened since then, but I know that in the past um, they uh, it's. It, it takes it takes a lot of time and it take it um, but everything on the blockchain is traceable and I'm sure event, eventually that they will be caught yeah it, it's interesting that when when block, when Bitcoin got its start it was used for the Silk Road and all this activities and you're saying you think you're doing this illegal activity and you got some anonymity but now every you're online so people eventually figure out where you were yeah, going even um i i think I, I i mentioned that in the post like there were some um at the time when i wrote it there were some uh crimes that had happened you know like a decade before and they were able to go back and see that this same person who did this um this uh illegal activity now was doing it 10 years ago and they can charge you now for things that you did 10 years ago because it's all there it's all traceable um it doesn't go away and yeah that's uh that was a hard lesson for them <laughs> to uh to learn it, it'd be every, North, people won't be surprised by north korea being uh, a sort of rogue state and, and doing these type of things any other countries that stand out as having been participating and and getting caught with with this hacking uh yeah um i know that um uh uh uh, definitely Russia, and I think possibly Ir Iranian, maybe too, um, hackers. Um, but I mean, there's also individual hackers and scammers and things like that. Um, people who have been uh, gotten their NFTs stolen, for example, and things like that. Um, you know, it's uh, it's 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 pretty tragic <laughs> how people, uh, you know, fall for these things. But I mean, it's, it's been happening since the early days of the internet. Um, it's, it still happens uh, today. I, I still get, uh, phone calls about my car's extended warranty and, you know, it's, <laughs> it happens, it happens everywhere, but it's, uh, it's, it, I think it's especially tra tragic when, um, people are losing, you know, their, their money and their wealth, um, to these hackers and scammers. What do you think about the major exchanges like a Coinbase, a Gemini, sort of the, maybe the most popular ways people are buying them? Do you think there's big risks if, if people are holding crypto assets at, at these big exchanges? Um, well, uh, I think it's, it's safer now than it was um, earlier because, but I mean, that's only because there, there hasn't been a huge exchange that is... Uh, gone gone under recently um but uh i i i think it is a risk um especially with you know coinbase um saying that and other platforms basically say that if you have your crypto on our platform um we can use it to settle our debts and you know in the in the if if we go into bankruptcy um uh, for me personally, I I, I do use a uh, cold storage wallet, and so um, that's how I am uh, um, holding a lot of my crypto. Uh, I think and I I think an exchange for for most people should be the place where they transact. They change from dollars to crypto or crypto to crypto. Um, I don't think it should be where you keep your majority of uh, crypto assets or digital assets. Do you do worry about any of the issues? I'm sort of taking responsibility from the the large centralized places to now taking assuming responsibility yourself of anything going wrong personally, right? Is that the the main? Did what, what what do you worry about the most? Trying to take it into cold storage personally. Um, in the event of um, my uh, unfortunate death <laughs> and no one being able to. Um, no one in my family or relatives being able to uh, know what you have, uh, know what I have, and know how to unlock it because it's so new. And um, so that's one of the big risks that I, I foresee. Um, I think that it would be it would be great if um, you know uh, I could easily teach this all to my 
to my parents or to uh, my, you know, family members. Um, but not everyone knows. Um, maybe one of my brothers will be able to <laughs> unlock it. Have to give them good instructions. That's right. Yep. What you you wrote a post on crypto jacking? So that's another one of your early posts on on how crypto gets hacked. Tell us about crypto jacking. Yeah, crypto jacking was um, something very something very interesting I learned about. It was um, uh, the crypto jacking is basically when. Um, a malware is able to infiltrate your computer and it uses your CPU power to mine Monero cryptocurrency, uh, which is also one of the things, it's one of the reasons why I don't really like the Monero um, cryptocurrency because it's, it's, a, it's a privacy coin, uh, which is meant to uh, obfuscate all transactions and make them completely untraceable. It's like the cash, the digital version of cash uh, which means it's um, it's great for people who are trying to commit crimes and trying to hide the their uh, where their money's going. Um, in the case of crypto jacking, um, at one point there was um, uh, there was a uh, North Korean ring of uh, criminals who um, or the nation state itself who were. Um, using crypto jacking uh, themselves to uh, profit from crypto jacking. So uh, they were uh, installing this malware on people's computers uh, in the United States and other places and um, using CPU power uh, without their knowledge in order to mine Monero. And that Monero would then go to their uh, crypto wallet in North Korea where they could sell it. Do you think, to, to our earlier conversation, that all stuff being done online eventually, do you think Monero, people ever figured out how to trace these Monero transactions? Are the people um, identified this is North Korea, so certainly they I identified I have to ask something. chain analysis. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know if they currently do or if they have that capability, but even if they did, I'm not sure if they would share that. Um, but, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I, I think there's going to come a point where... Um, the United States, I also talk a lot about regulation lately, and um, I think there's going to come a point where um, the United States and others say, um, it's okay if you have a blockchain because we can trace it, we can we can track it, we can know who's using it, and that's, and that's fine. Um, with things like Monero, it just makes, uh, um, it just, allows criminal organizations to not have to ship duffel bags full of cash across borders. And it makes it so much easier to just move illegal money that I don't think it's, I don't think it's going, um, I don't think regulators are going to uh, accept that. Yep. We're, we're talking with Wookie Index from Twitter. Uh, it's an anonymous account on Twitter, but writes a lot of interesting posts on the cryptocurrency market. Uh, a lot on how crypto gets hacked as we're talking about now and, and sort of recent post on energy credits we talked about earlier. Uh, it, it, when you think about the use case, we talked a little bit about the energy credits use case. Do you, do you think there, and, and you just talked about Russia being one of the people who were hacking and, and maybe using mm -hmm. Monero. Is there, is the, what's going on in Russia give you a, a sense when they get just cut off from the financial ecosystem? Is that one of the use cases for why crypto has value for for people trying to preserve what they can do with their, you mean people fleeing uh, Russia yeah. or uh... yeah, you you live in in a country that you're not confident that you will always have access to mm -hmm. your to your assets. Yeah, yeah, I don't um, I don't really know much about. I I I think it kind of makes sense. Like um, if you can uh, hide um, your um, at least part of your net worth on a flash drive, it's probably easier than um, um, bringing along other type of valuables with you. Um, I think uh, um, it, 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 it definitely could be used for that purpose uh, when you're fleeing a, a country um, that is uh, where the banks are failing. Um, they may be trying to seize your assets. Um, I think it does kind of make sense, but I know that um, in criminal cases in the United States, in 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 Europe, um, they they have seized 
digital assets as part of a, a seizure. So um, you might not be completely, um, depending on how, how safe, where, where you have it and how safe it is, uh, it still might not be safe even at that point. Let's talk about one other of your posts on how crypto gets hacked. We wrote about the Flash Boys of crypto. Um, let's talk about what what was in in that post and in, in how flip crypto got hacked by the Flash Boys. Yeah, um, the the Flash Boys of crypto is uh, a post about what's called um, maximum extractable val- value, um, and I know that um, uh, miners and validators. Um, uh, maybe um, uh, part of this as well. Um, what the what it basically is is um, especially on Ethereum, you can um, you can pay higher gas fees in, in order to um, get the pri- priority in a transaction, and so um, uh, there are bots or um, algorithms that basically um, are able to see your transaction on the blockchain because everything is open and transparent, uh, cut in front of you by paying higher gas fees, and then sell it back to you at a slightly higher price. And so it's, it's kind of like what the, uh, what, the, um, what the Flash Boys were doing in Michael Lewis's uh, book, um, taking advantage of this, uh, this structure within um, the Ethereum market and, and gas fees. And... Um, uh, exploiting that in order to um, extract value from people, um, normal people who are just trying to use it to uh, to uh, trade or transact. Do, do you see that as still an, a key issue for regular markets today? Is it extra extra in- interesting in this crypto and e- ether markets? Yeah, it's something that um, from um, the last time I looked at it, like in the post, it sounded as if, and e- even today I've, I'm still hearing things about it, so it sounds as if it's a it's a structural thing that is just part of the ecosystem as it's built right now. And um, I, I mean, it's, it's but at, at the same time, exactly, it's not any different for then operating in today's system. So, um, yeah, I don't really know if it, there's a there's a downside or, or not, but um, yeah. It's not really it's not really hacking, but it is sort of it is sort of like a like a shady thing that um, I, I feel like most people who get into crypto and transact on these protocols don't realize at first. Yeah, in any of these financial markets, there's there's always people who are trying to get a tiny little edge. Yep. And so these people are are trying to get ahead of you in your transactions and they have faster computers and they mm-hmm. can jump in line and and, yep. s- and spike the fees and sell it to you at a little bit higher price. Yep. Mm-hmm. Is as you think about which crypto you, you said personally you got interested in just the layer ones, uh it's sort of Bitcoin Ether. Are there other layer ones that you think are who's the most serious threat to Ether in, in your view? that's that's tough i think it i i i personally think that the future is going to be multi-chain anyway um it's kind of like like uh i i guess when aws was dominant we all thought aws would become the dominant player forever and now there's like there's a few other big players but there's hundreds of clouds and cloud services and um, I think that's kind of where crypto is going to go in the future. I don't know if anyone is going to um, dominate. So, um, is the multi-chain think, world a more hacked world? I, I remember Vitalik was saying something about that. That when you do these crossovers from Ethereum to something else, that that's doing. You, um, yeah, that's that. That is an issue because um, a lot of the uh, the uh, crypto bridges is what they're called. Um, all the bridges have failed and have been hacked. Uh, so I don't know how uh, that will be resolved other than exchanging one asset for another, which makes the exchanges more integral to that system if that happens. Um, like if you're going to, from Solana to Avalanche to Ethereum and back and forth and it and Bitcoin, if, if uh, they get um, their own version of um, smart contracts. Um, uh, I, I think you're going to need some sort of like, uh, some sort of a, a, a exchange to kind of like 
act as that in between. Um, now, do you think it's like a decentralized finance exchange, like a like a one like a Uniswap type thing, or is it is it more like a Coinbase Gemini exchange? Um, I don't know. I I I think it has to be separate as as of right now. I think it would have to be separate because otherwise, then you're you're basically just a bridge at that point. If you're if you're Uniswap, but you're exchanging between one blockchain and another, um, you're basically still a bridge at that point. We've got about two so, minutes left in our okay. our time here. As as you th any other closing thoughts as you think about all the things we've talked about, what you're focused on, on your Twitter um, account, your Substack. Well, well, the one thing I wanted to mention about the energy credit thesis, I don't know if I touched on this. It was um, I, I this is this is how I kind of ended my post as well. Um, we used to think of the uh, or the the measurement for the kilogram used to be based on a literal hunk of metal that was kept in a vault in France, <laughs> which sounds crazy now, but it was like that up until 2018 when we decided to um, tie it to Planck's constant, which is a physics constant, uh, a constant in physics. And I kind of think we can do the same thing with money with Bitcoin. Um, it kind of th thinking about it in a new way, tying our money to, um, energy itself, tying it to megawatt hours, which is the same, no matter where you are on the planet, a megawatt hour is a megawatt hour. Um, so that's kind of, you know. It's interesting when people talk about the gold standard, the issue of tying our dollars to gold, and then do you have enough gold there, uh, the standard of tying the value of the dollar or the dollar Bitcoin, the, the Bitcoin yeah. standard to, yes. to energy energy prices. It's yeah. a very interesting It's just use a cool case. concept, yeah. That's why I kind of went through this thesis and this thought exercise because it's just cool. I, I was going to try <laughs> to see, uh, I, I was often making the, the analogy myself, and we're out of time, but I was, I was often <laughs> making my, my own analogy of if Bitcoin was digital gold, ether was sort of like oil with the burning mm -hmm. of gas, but you really made me think hard about is Bitcoin got this new energy standard? So very interesting conversation. We talked with Wookie Index from Twitter. He's got his own Substack. Follow him on his Substack if you want to get more information on how crypto gets hacked or any more on the energy credit hypothesis thesis. Uh, Dion Simpkins, thanks for having us here in the studio. Our producer, Patty Hall. Wookie, thanks again for coming live to Wharton. It's our first anonymous Twitter user. Thank uh, you. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Markets podcast. If you want to learn more about WisdomTree, visit wisdomtree.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jeremy D. Schwartz. I'd like to thank Patty Hall for producing our live program on SiriusXM channel 132 and our podcast producer, Daniel Bruno. Join us next week for another edition of the show. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.